Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. That's all we're after. We want you to be engaged. The reason for that is because the more engaged you are, the more likely you are to be able to encourage others and to be encouraged in your own faith. That's not always easy because God wants us to experience faith. Faith is that bridge between where I am and the place where God's taking me. Just like in the song we sang, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. A reference to an Old Testament event. As incredible and as impossible as that seems to us, God split the Red Sea. They walked over on dry land on a on the bottom of a, of a lake and got to the other side safely and then when the enemy army was pursuing them and they were going to you know, cross over after them God says no I don't think so they walked in response of faith and they were saved your response of walk is not out of faith your walk is out of hatred and I'm not tolerating that the seas collapsed around them. They were all drowned and wiped out. God wants to bridge between where we are and the place where he's taking me. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about Peter walking on water or whether you're talking about the, the priest at one point in time during a battle being told to step into the Jordan River at flood stage with the Ark of the Covenant, the same type of thing happened. The flood stopped, the water backed up, and they walked over on dry land. I know it sounds like God's got a thing with water, right? But what God's really got a thing about is getting us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And that takes faith. Trouble with that is, faith is not believing that God can whether it's parting waters of the Red Sea or helping me walk on a storm or not. It's not just believing that God can, but it's knowing that He will. That happens because we know Him more than we're focused on what. But that's tough because we get focused on, here's the problem, here's what's in my face, here's what's causing chaos in my life, here's the answer I need, God, you need to rubber stamp that and do it and give it to me now as soon as possible. And we get focused on the what instead of on the who. God will get us to where he's taking us if we follow him. That scares us, though, which is why we need to let faith, not fear, rule in our heart. I like where I'm at. I'm comfortable where I'm at. Even if it means I'm always losing, at least I'm comfortable losing. I've become familiar with this. I know the game. I know who holds the cards. I know how to play the cards they've got. I know my role in the scheme of things, and I'm okay with this. I'm comfortable with this. And yet... Still, he calls us not to let fear rule our heart, giving us peace or robbing us of peace, but instead allowing faith to give us that peace. 
There's a lot of different things, though, when it comes to faith. And I want to talk to you this morning about just that. What does it actually mean to have faith? The standard routine is people think, well, Alex is not in the room, so I can say it without her groaning out loud. But Christians are looked at kind of like, bless your heart, you know? And now the reason the reference is there from Alex, she says, I, I'm from Atlanta. I'm from Georgia, I'm from the South. I know what it means when somebody looks at you and says, bless your heart. There we are, just like that, she walked back in. <laughs> bless my heart, Alex. I was trying to share that without you being in the room. But. The idea, though, of, of being a believer is allowing God to give you peace in your heart in spite of the circumstances around you. It feels like God expects us to have a mindless faith, but that's not what he's looking for. God doesn't expect you to have to choose between faith and brains. He doesn't, have to he doesn't ask us to choose between faith and science or faith and intellect. The foundational teaching of this is in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me just remind you briefly of it. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament and Mark records it in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. The foundation of our faith is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's not hard. Didn't take long. I'm going to ask you to read that with me. Here we go. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. God expects us to use the brains that he gave us. I mean, not to quote your dad, right? Usually it was in the negative of that. You know, you don't even use the brain God gave you. Or something like a goose gets thrown in there. You know, I'm not sure what faith and goose and brains all has. But, you know, it, it, it all got thrown in there in insults. You know, doesn't have the brains God gave a goose. But God expects us to use our mind when it comes to having faith. He wants our complete, thoughtful allegiance. He doesn't expect a mindless faith. Instead, like he says, quite to the contrary, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he wants us, he wants us to think about what we're believing in. He wants us to think about what we're choosing to trust. That's why he says, examine everything carefully and hold on to that which is good. Don't just embrace everything, but examine everything and to do so carefully. He wants us to use the brains he gave us. That's why John would write it this way, and this one isn't on the screen behind me, but... In John 20, verse 30 and 31, after he's presented the story of Jesus, John wraps it up in, verse, in chapter 20, in verse 30 and 31, by saying this, Jesus did many other miracles and signs that his followers saw, which are not written in this book. But these are written, he says in verse 31, so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then by believing, you can have life through his name. These are written, he says. 
what I've seen, what I've researched, what I've heard, these are written down for you so that you can believe and have life because of the evidence that I've written for you. God doesn't expect us to just believe the absurd and accept, but instead to accept a reliable testimony of eyewitnesses like John so that he makes his case based on facts and he asks us to do the same. Examine everything. Hold on to that which is good. Paul also encouraged believers in God, followers of Jesus, not to ignore the teaching being given to them about how to live their life, but instead to thoroughly check it out and see whether it's so or not. Hmm. Sounds to me like that's the exact opposite of the common assumption and the accusation of, oh, you're a Christian, bless your heart. You know, R.W. Bradford would say it this way, faith is a willful belief in the absence of evidence. That doesn't sound like what John said. I've written down everything that you need to believe. Or, like Newsday wrote one time, faith is completely irrational with little basis in fact, allowing us to believe what we know to be ridiculous. Bless your heart. No, that wasn't in there, but that's the inclination, right? Or like a guy named H.L. Mencken said, faith is the illogical belief in the improbable. You see, the choice seems to be this. Either we're so gullible that we'll fall for anything, even stories about God and creation and Jesus, or else we become so cynical that we can't believe anything other than what we've experienced. You see, different types of belief systems get confused with faith. People assume faith means credulous belief. Something that's believed despite little evidence to support your conclusions. Let me give you a quick illustration. You've seen, the, uh, you've seen the articles at the checkout line, right? It must be true. I mean, it's not on the internet, but maybe if you look at some of the dark sites, you can find it. JFK really wasn't assassinated in Dallas. He's alive and well, right? And, you know, Martians have abducted him, and that's why he, he disappeared so quickly. And Elvis, well, he didn't really die. Elvis is still alive. Matter of fact, he's been seen. See, something you believe, even though there's no evidence for what you believe to be true. Or sometimes people assume that faith is, is just a mistaken belief. You know, they acknowledge that you believe it to be true, and you're sincere, you've got good intentions, you're just wrong. Like, well, it wasn't JFK that was shot in Dallas, but his brother Bobby was shot in Dallas. Which, by the way, is not true. But maybe you've had those conversations with, oh, I don't know, people like your in-laws. Where you know that what they're saying is absolutely not possible. It's not true, but they're convinced it's true nonetheless. They have faith in it. They're just mistaken. Or sometimes people assume that faith is an indication of shallow beliefs. That they believe something that reflects just their personal wish, like, I'm going to get a million dollars, or I'm going to get a puppy. <laughs> yeah, that response, okay? 
or that your son's actually going to be willing to hug you in, in public and on stage. Or maybe that, you know, something like, like the Cincinnati Reds are going to win the World Series this year. Or this year the Browns are not going to screw up the draft. <laughs> A reflection of something we believe, but it's just shallow belief because of what I want it to be true of. The difference is this. God expects our faith to be a response of our minds. Faith is the result of our understanding and comprehending truth. Proverbs verse, chapter 14, verse 15 says it this way. Fools believe every word they hear, but wise people think carefully about everything. You've known those people, right? We call them gullible. We look at them and shake our head and say, bless your heart. God expects our faith not to be a bless your heart faith. He expects our faith to be different than the gullible person who believes anything and everything they hear. He wants us to investigate and think deeply and carefully about things. That's why Paul <clears throat> would write to the Colossians in chapter 1 and he would say it this way. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That doesn't sound like somebody that just expects us to believe what they say is true. No, he says, I'm praying that you'll have wisdom. I'm praying that you'll have understanding. This will help you live in a way that brings honor to the Lord and pleases Him in every way. We pray that your life will produce a good work of every kind and that you'll grow in your knowledge of God. Remember that one thing about faith? It's not believing. How was that? It's not, it's knowing that God will, not just believing that he can. God also expects our faith to be a response of our mind when we give assent to things. It's a result of our assent to conclusions based on evidence. It's, it's, that, it's that knowledge we have of being willing to agree. That's what's meant by assent. Okay, I'll concede. It's cold in the Arctic. And it's warm in Hawaii whether you've ever been there or not, whether you ever intend to go and personally experience it or not, you're willing to agree, all right, there's evidence out there, I'm willing to believe that it's true. The same type of thing is seen when Peter addresses the crowd in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Jesus is the one whom God raised from the dead, he says, and we're all witnesses to this. I've, unlike Pam, who's from Hawaii, unlike Jeff, who's from Hawaii, despite the fact that their name sounds like they're from Italy, Mariano, <laughs> they're from Hawaii. And they go there regularly. And yes, I'm very envious and jealous of that. There you are, Jeff. I didn't, you're not in your spot. You're usually right over here. <laughs> 
Is Pam there now? Are you sure? Pretty sure. She says she went there. There's evidence to believe that Pam is in Hawaii with family again. How, what was the last you heard from her? How warm is it? Why are we here? I've been freezing all morning. We're willing to concede that even though we're not personally there, we're willing to believe the evidence of somebody who is there and has seen it and is enjoying sweating to the oldies. Now, Peter says, we're all eyewitnesses to this, that Jesus is the one that God raised from the dead. Jesus was lifted up to heaven and is now at God's right-hand side. The Father has given the Holy Spirit to him just as he promised. How do I know there is a Holy Spirit? How do I know that there's anything about the resurrection that's true? How do you know? that Jeff really does have a woman who's married to him named Pam, and she's currently today in Hawaii where it's 85 degrees. That's faith. You're willing to concede some things to be true even though you haven't personally experienced it. He says Jesus poured out that spirit that God gave to him after he raised him from the dead, and Jesus then in turn poured that out on us, and he says, and that's what you see in here now. So his conclusion is this, be sure of this, all of you people of Israel that were there in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost, know this to be true, you nailed Jesus to the cross, but God has made him the Lord and Messiah. You believe that? Were you there to see it? Did you experience it personally? Or are you willing to accept it on the basis of those who were eyewitnesses? You see, God expects our faith to be a witness, a response of our mind as well, because he wants faith to be the result of our trust. But more than that, he wants it to be a decision to act based on something that we believe. In the little promo called MCC Minute, David referred to the study in James. Incredibly practical book. Here are, some, here are some evidences and reasons why people talk about how James is so practical. For example, in, in these verses, in chapter 2, verse 14, he summarizes his thoughts this way. My brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith but does nothing, that faith is worth nothing. You can't get much more practical and obvious than that, can you? You see, it really doesn't matter what you say, it's about what you do. It, wasn't, it doesn't matter what you say you believe about faith, it's what you do because of your faith. And if you don't do anything in response to what you believe to be true about God, then that faith is worth nothing, he says. 
Or in verse 18 of chapter 2, you can't show me your faith if you don't do anything. I love that phrasing. If you're not doing anything because of God, if you're not doing anything for heaven's sake, if you're not doing anything for Christ's sake, then what is it that you believe? Faith that does nothing is worth nothing, he repeats again in verse 20. And then he uses an illustration of Abraham when he says, Abraham, Abraham's faith, what he believed about God, and what he did worked together. And in this way, he proved that his faith was real by what he actually did in response to that faith. That may be the greatest challenge of our faith. Not just to accept that something is true, but to actually do something in response to it. And Jeremy, this is the part where you just get to relax for a bit, okay? Jeremy's running the screens for me this morning. I'm going to read to you a few passages out of Hebrews chapter 12. I know this is high math and it may challenge some of you. But chapter 12 comes right after chapter 11. Okay. Even the math challenged, like me, I, I can follow that. Chapter 11 in Hebrews is a great chapter about faith. Matter of fact, that's where he, say, that's where he actually gives this definition. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then he goes on to talk about a number of different people all throughout Scripture as illustrations of people who had great faith. But then he gets to chapter 12, where he gets real practical in a way that James would appreciate. And this is what he says. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Speaking of all those people who lived before us and lived their life in faith. And he says, they're watching. Kind of evidence of what happens after death, right? That you're actively involved, that you're engaged on that side of eternity with what's going on in the lives and the faith of people on this side of eternity. And he says, just like just like when your mom and dad were in the stands. I kind of had this little mental picture. Kirk has a well-established reputation of encouraging the referees to call fouls appropriately when his son Kenny was playing basketball. One of them even offered him the whistle. During a, a, now, I didn't see that. I'm just accepting it on faith that he was there, and he said that's what happened. Can you just get this image of Kirk in heaven watching here? Yeah. He says, we have a great cloud of witnesses that are aware of and care about what's happening in this world. And he says, because of that, verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Just to continue an illustration from earlier, 
I'm convinced that's why I don't have a million dollars. Because God knows that would hinder me. And I'm also convinced that's why we don't have a puppy. Because the puppy would hinder me. Just saying about me, okay? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. You see, it's a lot more fun to talk about a million dollars in puppies than it is to talk about the stuff that grabs a hold of our feet and trips us up when we're trying to walk by faith. He says, isn't it time you take off the shackles? Isn't it time you lay aside the weight? Isn't it time you learn to cut some stuff loose in your life? Isn't it time you pop open the trunk and unload the junk out of your trunk from the past so that you can now walk in faith instead of out of fear and frustration and anger and bitterness and resentment about who did what to you in the past? Get rid of it. People are watching from heaven. People are rooting for you in heaven. They're encouraging you. And in heaven, they're saying, let it go. Move on in faith. Stop letting your past and your fear of your past duplicating itself in the future get in your way. Let God take you where he wants you to be. Get rid of it. Please. Let's talk about puppies. That just sounds, feels better. <laughs> Throw off everything that hinders. And my sin that so easily entangles me. Why? So that I can run with perseverance the race that mark, that's marked out for us. Can I just remind you of the verse that's on the screen in front of you? Faith that does nothing is worth nothing. Prove your faith is real by what you do. Like getting rid of the sin that's holding you back from where God needs you to be. Show your faith by what you do. Like letting go of the past so that you can walk by faith into his future. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Here's why. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think Jesus had any junk in his trunk? The humiliation and embarrassment, the mistreatment, the false accusations, the betrayal of people who said, if everybody else leaves you, I'll never leave you. You think anybody had a right to be bitter like Jesus did? And yet for the joy set before him, he cut loose of all of that. And he says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. 
If you're waiting for people to treat you right before you walk with God, you're going to wait a long time. There will always be people who miss the mark that God has for them in their life. We call that sin in church. And when people in your life miss God's will for their life, it's going to wear you out. You're going to get tired of it. But he says, I don't want you to lose heart in spite of the fact that you're tired of being the one left holding that end of the stick. In your struggle against sin, whether it's somebody else's or even your own, if it's somebody else's, you got to endure it. If it's yours, you got to get rid of it. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus. That's why he says you have to endure hardship as discipline. You see, that's what faith does. Faith looks up, faith lightens up, and faith listens up to what Jesus has to say so that faith can live up to what God has for our life. You don't get there if you're waiting on the right feeling because, and here's where Jeremy's going to change the screen for me, faith is more than a feeling. In my head, I thought, oh, this would be great. This is where the video comes on. More than a feeling. <laughs> so you just enjoy that little worm in your ear there. But faith is more than a feeling. People say, well, you know, perception is reality. Well, you know what? Perception may change your response, but it doesn't change reality. Feelings fluctuate. Feelings vary based on our perception. But, you know, what are we going to... Like, for example, what should we watch this afternoon on TV? Ice dancing or football? Doesn't change reality. Both are on. It's just your perception about how you want to spend your time. If I take one step back to what we just talked about, how I choose to spend my time obsessing about what others have done to me or how I've disappointed God and feel guilty about it. That doesn't change. My, my feelings about that don't change the reality that God wants me to let it go and move on in faith, does it? Perception may change your response, but it doesn't change reality. I know I've told this story before, so I'm not completely losing my mind. The family, uh, let's see, the last name was Garner. It wasn't Ron. It was the youngest one. Do you remember his name? Brad. What a great kid to watch. It'd drive you nuts if you were his parents, but it was fun watching <laughs> because Brad had imagination that would not stop. Brad knew, he knew that if he wrapped a towel around his shoulders, he could jump out of the apple tree in the backyard and he could 
fly. He's five. He knows this. Mom's in the house. She hears him crying. She goes to the door. He, she looks out. He's picking himself up off the ground, and he's got the towel all wrapped around, and, and he comes in. What's wrong? You know, and she does the mom thing. She nurtures him, pats him on the back. I mean, what happened? You know, I don't understand. I thought I could fly. I have a cape and everything, and I don't understand. Gravity wins. I'm just saying His perception of reality did not change reality. So she dresses him up, scrapes him up, puts a Band-Aid on, puts him all together, goes back to what she's doing. He goes back outside. It wasn't 30 seconds later. She hears him again. Same routine, same cape around his shoulders, same tears, same sobbing, same running to the house. Mom! What are you doing? I thought I, he says, I thought I did it wrong. <laughs> he was convinced if he just got higher in the tree, this time it would be right. His perception didn't change his reality. It just changed his response. I'll climb higher this time. I'll, do, I'll get more all in. Let's not talk about Brad, five-year-old. Let's talk about people that, let's talk about people that are married. Yeah, I know, big jump, right? Five-year-old Superman jumping out of an apple tree, now marriage. Are you married? You may have a license on file at the courthouse. You may have a ring on your finger. You may have kids together. You may share a mortgage, and you may file taxes jointly. But the fact that you don't always feel loving toward each other doesn't change the fact that you promised each other before God, family, and friends that you would commit yourself to love and live as husband and wife the rest of your life. Feelings don't change. Feelings shouldn't change the facts of reality. You see, a Christian's faith requires objective facts, subjective feelings, and the actions that follow to prove it. Let me share this with you. I've got to move on, okay? We, I, I've got a birthday party to get to. You've got your stuff to get to. Let me wrap up here, okay? <laughs> U.S. News and World Report once stated this in the following article. The fact that Jesus was ex executed in Roman-occupied Palestine is one of the passions is one part of the passion story that modern historians believe is well corroborated by extra biblical sources. All that means is you don't have to believe the Bible to believe as fact that there was a guy named Jesus that was executed by Rome. For example, and then he quotes a Roman historian of the time, a guy named Tacitus. And he was he recorded in AD 110 the persecution of Christians under the emperor Nero. And he refers to followers of Christ whom the procurator Pontius Pilate had executed in the region of Tiberias. Now he's not a Christian. He's just the local guy down at the news office. 
And he's reporting the news of the day, and the news of the day was that Pontius Pilate had this guy named Jesus executed. The article continues by saying, their striking cooperation of the type of crucifixion that's described in the Gospels that was discovered in 1968. Now, I know that's ancient history. Might as well be talking about A.D. 100 for some of you. For others of you, it was a blink of an eye. You still remember the car you drove in 68. But during 1968, they were excavating a site near Mount Scopus, just northeast of Jerusalem, and they found three different tombs at that site. One of them contained the remains of a guy who'd been crucified somewhere between AD 7 and AD 70. Now they're not going to tell you, we found Jesus. That's not what they're saying. What they are saying is they found the remains of a guy who had been crucified and he was crucified, or, or the remains showed that he was crucified exactly like the Bible describes Jesus was crucified. His feet had been nailed together at the heels. Ouch. His forearms had nail wounds. And like the two thieves that were crucified with him, the bones of his lower legs had been broken. These are the type of wounds that are entirely consistent with the description in John's Gospel about how Jesus was crucified between two thieves. April 16, 1990 is when that article is written. David, why don't you and the praise team join me back on stage. We'll wrap up here with this. You see, there's factual evidence that Jesus died on a wooden cross, a wooden cross that was so real you could have gotten a splinter from it, just like you do now. He rose from the dead. He left behind an empty tomb and a neatly folded grave clo clothes that when examined by eyewitnesses left them with only one conclusion. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Here's the point. Your perception about Jesus, what you think about God, and the legitimacy of faith does not change historical reality any more than any more than five-year-old Brad thought he could beat gravity with a towel wrapped around his shoulders. The real question is this: what are you going to do about it? In Acts 17, verse 30, one last scripture for you to consider. In the past, people did not understand God, he says, and God was willing to ignore this. But now, God tells all people in the world to change their hearts and lives. Some translations will use a simple Bible word called repent. But that means to change the direction of their life. And before they do that, they need to change their heart. And the reason and motivation for us to change our heart and change our life is this. He's fixed a day when he will judge the world. And he's given proof of that by raising Jesus from the dead. So, that's why we are committed to spending our life, our time together, to learn more about Jesus so that we, like Jesus, can do what's unnatural to us and not be self-centered and selfish in how we live our life, but so that we might love more, just like Jesus loved, even when it took Him to the cross. 
by people that treated and abused him horribly. And we do that because we want to look more like Jesus in how we live our lives. Becoming one with Christ. Changing our heart, changing our life, and doing so because that's the difference that faith makes. If faith doesn't make a difference in how you live, then it's not really faith at all. Otherwise, you would learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.